0: Hi everyone, my name's Nick Wood, Head of Investment Fund Research at Quilt and welcome to the latest edition of The Fund Buyer, the podcast for all things related to the world of fund research. Before we start, my usual reminder that you can sign up to be notified about future podcasts on the Quilt website or simply follow hashtag QCFundBuyer on LinkedIn. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke on a panel at the Fund Forum event on the topic of M&A within asset management and the impact this can potentially have at the fund level. The useful reminder that whilst we're certain to see ongoing M&A, the impact at the fund level can be potentially negative when the largest asset managers continue to gather and aggregate assets. So today I thought I'd talk about what rules we should set ourselves when considering fund sizes and when does a fund become too big? Firstly, why should we care and what should we specifically care about? The argument goes that as a fund grows, the limitations of market liquidity will erode a manager's ability to transact in the market and limit their universe. Depending on where the manager's sweet spot is, that limitation may ultimately reduce their future ability to deliver out performance at the same level, or indeed at all. It's well documented that some of the best performing funds have produced better returns when at smaller AUM sizes in the earlier days of their life than when they've had significant inflow. So in other words, most investors never achieve the level of returns that they presumably bought the fund for in the first place. That really describes one of the biggest investment issues facing fund buyers, the perennial temptation to buy the outperforming fund and sell the laggard. Uh, I guess there there is one exception to this rule, rule at least that I can think of, and that's um, the activist, where holding a larger stake in a company may allow greater influence to achieve their objectives. Um, Although clearly even these strategies can only grow so big before they're also impacted. Um, I've spoken about fund size so far, but really that's only half the story. If we're considering nimbleness in the market, it's critical to consider strategy size for anything which is mirroring the fund. So if the manager has decided it's time to buy or exit a position, it's likely to happen across all mirrored funds and strategies. It's very noticeable in the financial press that Comments around fund sizes often miss the bigger bigger picture in some cases. So let's take a a very often quoted example, um, Fundsmith. Most comment on the size of the onshore fund, which is around 28 billion, significant in itself. However, the mirrored offshore fund is no minor amount, adding a further 7 billion. Extend this example and include any mirrored segregated mandates for the manager you're interested in, and the strategy assets become the most important number to focus upon. This is particularly the case with some very large US-based managers, where the European UCITS is likely to be a tiny proportion of total assets managed in the strategy. As is often the case, individual investors are at an immediate disadvantage given this information isn't generally freely available, especially if it relates to assets in the US or, or indeed segregated mandates. As you might expect, it's something we pay, um, pay close attention to and ask all of our managers on a quarterly basis. So how big is too big? Well, clearly every fund is unique, but there are a few examples that give a, a sense of levels. So uh, let's take UK small caps. Um, One billion sterling is, is often quoted as a good guide to capacity. The more the manager fishes in true small caps rather than mid caps, the lower the number might become. Um, An even more extreme example might be the River and Mercantile UK microcap investment trust, which actually hands back investors money when it grows too far above 100 million. Um, In this case, the the manager views um, that figure as just too much when investing in the very smallest part of the market. At The other end of the extreme, we have US large caps. There are numerous managers running tens of billions uh, in assets in that space and That's perfectly reasonable given the size of companies available to them. Bear in mind, the average S&P 500 company is around about 60 billion sterling today. And even the 20 smallest companies have an average market cap of around 5 billion. So not too far below the level needed to enter the FTSE 100. It's worth highlighting at this point that um, whilst we have some large funds in Europe, they pale into comparison to many in the US. Um, There are a number of active funds there with over $100 billion in assets, which one can't help but wonder whether they might've achieved better outcomes had their assets been a little more limited. That all said, every manager is different. So how do we assess how big is too big? Well, here's my take on it. Firstly, knowing what the manager sees as their capacity early on is always a great starting point. Plenty of fund managers will run their funds as if they're running several billion even if they're only running hundred million today. So that they don't change their process over time and have people like me accusing them of style drift armed with that capacity number is it's certainly a useful tool. If they get nearer, um, that original capacity figure, do they then increase it sometimes the, the pressure from sales team can, can, uh, often get to the best of managers and that's an obvious flag. The uh, the other obvious flag and easier to spot for, for even those that don't meet the manager is a drift in how the fund is being managed. So here it can be as basic as an increase in the number of holdings so that the manager can buy smaller amounts of each company or an increase in the average size of the company relative to the index, which may be reported in some fact sheets. We might also add an expansion of the universe. So for example, to include a small proportion of global companies within a UK fund. Although I would stress that's not always due to growing assets. For those with um, tools at their disposal, analysing the liquidity of the underlying portfolios based on their total assets managed is perhaps the most scientific way to approach that problem. In an ideal world, the smaller and nimbler the strategy, the better. That said, a fund certainly can be too small. And anything below say 50 million at least needs to be considered in terms of excessive costs associated with running a smaller fund. That doesn't mean we should avoid smaller funds necessarily, but seeding new funds needs to come with some expectation that it will grow to a sufficient size to avoid an ongoing cost headwind. As an investor, what to do next? As I said at the start, excessive AUM is one of the key determinants of weaker performance. So if you've concluded that this is the case, then all else equal, it should be time to move on. In most areas of the market, you'll find more nimble versions of successful funds. Let's take the style that's worked best over the last few years, growth equities. In the global space, it it feels to me like there's a a glut of funds that look and feel a little bit like the highly successful Fundsmith or Bailey Gifford offerings. They often come with strong track track records. Uh, They often have similar philosophies, and are often much smaller. Of course, how much of that is based on skill and how much is the prevailing style is the key to picking a new uh, smaller manager, but that's our job. So in conclusion, tracking AUM, being cognizant of style drift is key when thinking about this issue. What is harder for some is to determine how much of the fund you own is replicated elsewhere by the manager and the impact that might have. So on that note, I'm going to close today's edition of The Fun Buyer. As ever, thanks for listening and stay safe.